Welcome back to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. I'm Sarah here with Ilya Svetkov, and we are diving in today talking about what do we do after we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? This was a question that popped up in our social media of asking different listeners what they would like to hear. And we thought that this was a really good topic. It's going to be short and brief, but something that is really valuable and something that we all need to, even if we are discipling people to be aware of. But if you have just come to a place where you've surrendered your life to the Lord and you're saying, what do I do now? We want to talk about that. We want to encourage you in that. And if you have any other questions, you can go ahead and email us at the deeply rooted pod at gmail.com. Something that struck me today as I was studying and thinking about what we were going to talk about tonight was what does it mean to actually accept Jesus as our Savior? And I wanted to touch on that. There's a Dallas Theology Seminary professor who gave a really great analogy about what it actually practically means to um, accept Jesus as the Lord of our life. And if we can imagine ourselves, our reality, something like a boardroom, a really big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, a whiteboard, and there's a committee that sits around the table. Imagine that there's your social self, there's the private self, there's your work self, there's sexual self, there's the recreational self, there's a religious self, there's childhood memory self, and there's all these other selves that are in this committee within this boardroom. And this committee is arguing and debating and voting. This committee is what is inside of us, inside of you. And it's constantly agitated, divided, upset. This is before knowing Christ. And rarely can the committee within us come to a unanimous and wholehearted decision. At some level, we are feeling the strain of our complicated selves and we feel stressed. We feel distracted, divided, pulled from one place to another. And it gets overwhelming and we stop and we think there's got to be more than this. A person who comes to the end of themselves, the end of all of those people around that table, around that boardroom, is somebody who says, I can no longer be the Lord of my life. I need help. I need Jesus. And what that looks like is saying yes to the Father, to God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit say, my life isn't working. Please come in and fire my whole committee. Every last one of them. Get them out of me. I hand myself over to you now. I want you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity. I want you to run my entire life. I want to serve the living and true God. Lead me into how that works. That is the basic salvation message, the basics of accepting Jesus as our Lord. It's firing all of the selves that we have let run amok in our own person and saying, God, I'm going to actually find myself in you. I'm going to find myself in you. So what do we do when we give God permission to clear out that boardroom within us, that committee of voices? within us and let him start running the show and leading the way, showing us love, teaching us grace, activating mercy. What does that look like in our lives? I remember hearing somebody use this analogy that when we give our life to Jesus, that he wipes our slate clean. And I would say he wipes our sin clean. We are made new, but our slate is very much still full of a lot of things. And, you know, depending on how old you are and what you've been through, all of those things, life circumstances, there could be a mound of things on that slate. And Sarah talked about the Holy Trinity that sits on the council of our life. I would say the scriptures specifically mention there's almost a mirroring that happens with a Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and an unholy Trinity, which is the devil, the flesh, and the world. And when we come to Jesus and we surrender our life, there's this moment of, okay, God, your voice, your life, your death, 
in your resurrection. That is what I am abiding in. And in that space, we begin to wage war. What the devil does in that space is deceptive lies about the things that God says, about the character of who he is that is informing our life. He distorts, twists, and speaks untruth. And then the flesh plays to those disordered ideas, desires, whatever it may be, that the lie is planted. And then the world normalizes and affirms those lies. And so when we find ourselves in a space where we've come to God and say, I take it all, I surrender. And I think sometimes people think everything disappears all at once. It's almost like the slate is wiped clean. And I think in my personal experience in my life and, and walking with people, typically it's one item at a time. And then God takes a handful of things and he goes, okay, do you trust me with this thing? Do you trust me? Because there's things that are spoken on both ends, whether it is about money or marriage or singleness or sexuality, whatever that may be, there is an idea that's presented. God presents one, the devil presents another. And we have the choice to go, who do I trust? And what we know is scripture says that came to give life and give it abundantly. So we choose to put our trust in God with whatever is on our plate. What would that look like practically? What would that look like practically? This is something I came across just in the last few years that I've found really, really helpful. And I started practicing for myself and I encourage others to do it as well. But it was in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the encouragement was, as you start this process of this faith journey of walking with God in communion with God, that we would begin with the end in mind. As we begin the journey, we begin that journey by keeping the end in mind. And so the question would be, God, what kind of man, what kind of woman do you want me to be? Are you building me to be? Are you inviting me into? Give me an image, a character of the archetype. And that person may change over the years, but trusting the Lord and saying, God, I'm going to give you control over my life. You get to shape me into your image. You're talking about identity. Yeah. I'm not going to shape God into my image. I'm going to let him speak into my life of who he wants me to be. And when I started asking that question, and it's not at least in my experience, hasn't been something that has just immediately come to me. It might take time of just placing yourself before the Lord in that space and asking the same question. And for me, I landed with, I want to be a person that is marked by wisdom and a presence of peace. And for me, wisdom is applied knowledge over time. So as somebody who studies the Bible, as somebody who talks about the Bible, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to live it. I don't want to talk about the kingdom. I want to live the kingdom. And so when I think of wisdom, I think of a person whose life is characterized by obedience to God. And so by the end of my life, the legacy that I leave behind is, man, people that know me really well would go, man, that is somebody who is all in on the kingdom of God. That is somebody who not only talked about the gospel, but embodied it in his life in his marriage, in his family, in all the aspects. And the other part was to be a presence of peace, to be able to step into any situation that is marked by chaos or frustration or anger, and to be a calming, peaceful presence in that space, unbothered, untethered to the world and present with God. And that's something that took time and, and the Lord may very well change that. But I think what that does for me is it makes the decisions I make in the present much easier because I know my future. God has spoken a identity over me. So when I'm presented with options, I can go, is that going to help me towards that end? And if the answer is no, I have my answer. What I hear you saying is, is talking about character formation by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who um, we are given as a helper from God because we are souls, right? We are spiritual beings in body form that God would gift us the Holy Spirit to help prompt our hearts towards 
the things of God and towards who he is. I think what is also so important when we've accepted the Lord and we say, okay, I want to know what you say. Well, how do we know what he says? How do we know who he is? How do I know how to ask for those character forming things? How do I even know what to ask for? The beginning of that is learning actually who God is, what he is like, (laughs) who Jesus was, what Jesus was like on earth. He's still with us, but he is sitting right hand of the Father. But who was he on earth? How did he live life in the flesh? And what are the things that the Holy Spirit deposits in us as we grow in the knowledge of who God is? We call those the fruits of the Spirit, the things that are produced within us when we are aligned and walking rightly with God. We have the fruits of the Spirit that tell us, hey, this is growing inside of you. This is happening. This is developing. This is who you are becoming. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not boastful. It does not envy. It is not proud. Those things, when we start producing those things, we know that God is getting bigger in us and he is pushing out that old self because it no longer has the authority to make the decisions in that boardroom of our life. For those of you that are unfamiliar with some of the things that Sarah just mentioned, she just spoke like four different passages of scripture in what she just said. And that brings me to the second point is befriend the word of God. How do you discern the things of God? I would say begin by befriending the word of God. What has God revealed to us about himself already? I know that there is no new revelation that will contradict the already existing revelation of God. And so how do you discern spirits? How do you discern whether something is from God or not? How do you discern if the spiritual leader in your life is following God? And I think the answer is by knowing the word of God for yourself. I think right now we live in a gluttony of knowledge and we're living in a time in a space where everybody has something to say about Jesus, whether it be a pastor, a leader, a mentor, some random influencer online, there are so many things floating around. How do you discern what is actually from God or what is true? And how do I know if the person is speaking to me is speaking truth? And I would say by knowing what God has said already. And so befriending the word of God. You know, I think of Romans 12 about the renewing of your mind, the lies that the enemy has spoken. The best way to combat that is to meet it with truth. I think about Psalms 1, be like a tree firmly planted in the ground that does not wither, comes from being somebody who meditates on God's word day and night. And so there is a calling, God is speaking. And I think when you are new to what it means to follow God, you're learning to tune and hone in your ears to listening for God's voice in your life. And one of the best things that you can do is by knowing what God's voice already sounds like. There is a written letter from God to you. And so I would say befriend the written word. And by written word, you mean the Bible? The Bible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, practically, um, you know, I remember when I started following Jesus, I've never read the Bible in my life. Like I, have, I didn't read a, a word at that point. I just started with a gospel. Like I remember I tried to start in Genesis, did not work out for me very well <laughs> at all. That came later. I just started in the gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Um Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And my my favorite is the Gospel of John. So I just encourage people like dive into that and see the character of God, um, see the heart of God, see the word of God. Yeah. My dad always has said like, you're going to start reading the Bible, start with the book of John, because the book of John simply uses language that is so expressive in a specific way that it's just a great starting point. Somebody had asked me recently a really great question. They were like, what are the gospels? Because we talk about the Bible and then we talk about the gospels almost like they're they're separate from. So you have a really great short explanation of that. And I'd love for you to share that. 
the gospels are four portrayals about Jesus. And I, I like to imagine if you had four people walk into my living room and then I had asked each and every single one of them to separately write an account of what my living room looks like, we would have four different stories that are describing the same thing, the same experience, the same encounter, the same space, the same reality from four different vantage points. And so in short, I would say the gospels are one unified gospel with four different perspectives. That's so helpful because I know that anyone who might be stepping into a faith journey of, of saying yes to Jesus and yes to him being the one making the decisions in their life, that there's a lot of terminology that other people of faith who've been walking a little longer and maybe a little further ahead that they may use commonly that can can kind of feel like you're out of the loop of something. And so I want to encourage people who are just stepping in, don't, don't be overwhelmed. If you hear phrases or you hear words that you're like, I don't know what that is. And someone's sharing about it or talking about it in a way that it's like, oh, how, how do you not know that? It's okay. It's okay. You're going to learn over time what those things mean, but where you are is right where you need to be. And that's the beauty of starting to grow in understanding. You want to be able to understand, not just get information. You want to understand what it is that you're choosing to believe. And so we want to encourage people to ask really good questions. Don't be afraid to ask. I loved that they asked that question. What are the gospels? That's yeah. a great It's a great question. question. Yeah. And so as you're walking alongside other people who maybe have known the Lord for longer, don't be afraid to ask them those questions. I know that for me, if I don't have the answer, I'm like, let's find the answer together. Yeah. I just want to say something really quick about sure. carving out time to spend with the Lord as depending on who you have speaking into your life, depending on who you find yourself around. I think people have ideas and it comes from almost like idealism of like, this is what a Christian looks like. And I think mm -hmm. for me pretty early on, the idea was like somebody who is up at 6am, 5am, 4am with a cup of coffee and they're meditating on God's word. And, <laughs> and I vividly remember when I was in a really just years of like a really busy season of my life where I was struggling. Um, I was working opening shifts. And so I had to be at the store at 6am, which means I left my house at 530 in the morning. I did that for a year. I remember talking to a pastor who said, well, I mean, you got to get up at 330. And I was like, well, like, hold on. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm working an opening shift and then I got to go to school. And then my wife gets off work. I got to find time to do homework. And it was just the season of my life. And there was this ideal. And so I was no good at 3.30 in the morning, right? Like, like I can get up and do it, but it's not fruitful. Like, I, I don't feel like yes. I am in my right mind to be reading anything <laughs> that early in the morning. And I would say defining in a win for that space is there's no secret recipe for what the perfect communion with God looks like, but I would say a good rhythm of being in the word at any time in the day is a win. I remember meeting with a group of guys, two of which had just started walking with the Lord and they were mid forties, have never read scripture before. And I remember when they started walking with the Lord for the first time, they went from reading their Bible zero times a year to four times a year to once a month to once every other week. That is a huge win. It's good to have disciplines, right? Like mm -hmm. we discipline ourselves. We discipline ourselves with with athletics, right? Like I'm going to discipline myself to work out this many times a week. I'm going to discipline my mind to get my homework done before this time so I can get to bed, you know, at a decent hour. I'm going to discipline. We have these disciplines that we put in our life for our good to make sure that we don't miss out on them. A discipline is very different than a rule. And I think that when we start making spending time with God a rule, a rule we can't break or something bad's going to happen to us, there is a consequence. 
and it's not a good one for not spending time with the Lord, it means that we're not going to grow in relationship, right? Just like any other relationship, we will not have that intimacy that we need to be able to know and, and live in a, in a good and healthy relationship with that other person. Um, it's the same with God, but to not make it a rule, but instead a discipline of our life. I just don't want to miss out on God. Think, I don't want to miss out on him. I don't want to miss out on, on what I'm going to learn about him today. What if we came with that posture like, oh, I got to do this. But instead, oh, I don't, I don't want to miss out on anything that he has for me. Ellie and I were recently at an event um, speaking and sharing. Um, a person came up to me and they said, what's happening next for the schedule? And I said, oh, you'll find out, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a surprise. And they said, I just don't want to miss out on anything God has for me. And their excitement and their joy and their expectancy that God actually had something for them was so beautiful. And I'm like, how can God not be pleased? How can God not be pleased with that? I remember a young woman just telling me, she's like, I think God's really disappointed in me. And I said, well, why do you think that? And she said, because every time I go to bed at night, I try to pray and I always fall asleep praying. And I said, why would God be disappointed that his child fell asleep talking to him? Why would he ever be disappointed in that? And so reading the word of God and growing in relationship gives us and forms a true idea of who he is, a true thought of who he is so that we can hold that relationship rightly. We can look at it rightly. So instead of seeing God as disappointed in me that I fell asleep praying, that I would be able to see him as a father just in love with his child, just so pleased that he wanted, she wanted to talk to him as the last part of her day. That is something worth celebrating. And that's the conversation uh, I had with the gentleman who, you know, felt shame for, Like, I can't believe I'm in my forties and I've never read my Bible before. And I was like, dude, you're reading it now. There, there are people who come to faith in their seventies and eighties. Like you have 40, 50, 60 years of communion with God, of walking in resurrected life. Like what is not to celebrate right now? Like, (laughs) you know, sure. The best time to plant a tree is a hundred years ago, but we have today. Like, how exciting is that? And you're doing it. Like, we're doing it, you know? Like, there's that moment of like, I wish I could do more. Dude, who cares? We're doing it, you know? (laughs) That's right. Do you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like someone snuck into the boardroom and sat down in a chair and was given the floor that has no business being there. It's an accountant. Somebody who's like, we did not meet the quota for Bible reading. Um, we did not meet the quota. You're and you're like, get out of here. That's a great question. It's like, man, why am I hearing that? Why am I hearing that I failed, that I did something wrong here? Somebody's in the boardroom that needs to get fired. <laughs> yeah. And I think when we set those like really rigid rules for ourselves to say, like, I have to do this, Sarah mentioned earlier the pressure that we might feel from seeing the language people are using or seeing other people's faith journey, the shame that comes from that. We start taking so much on because we feel like we're behind that we end up taking too much on and burn ourselves out. Like we just find ourselves in this space where it's just not manageable. It's too much, too fast. And I think the win would be finding some sort of rhythm where you are before the word of God And that's the season of life that you're in. It has to work with your life. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that it's not going to come at some sort of cost. Any discipline costs us. It means that we're going to do this over something else. Totally. So a discipline is always at the cost of us doing something else. But we, we do that because it's worth it. Amen. It has value. It's costly because it has value. And so it's a good choice to make. It has to work in our lives, which is just another opportunity to get to know yourself and how God made you. 
to discover what it looks like to live in relationship with God with how he's made you. So if you're not a morning person, what does it look like to spend time with God and in his word and learning about who he is? What does that look like in the rest of your day? What are the pockets where you have space to breathe and be present? Even if it's 15 minutes of of having intentional reading of something about God and who he is in it's aligned and includes his word in it. And that could be a devotional book. That's great. That's a great place to start as a devotional book. Yeah. Somebody is giving practical application and words to scripture that is new. It can look like having a small a Bible reading with other people throughout the week of like, hey, do you want to sit down and do this devotion together so you're not doing it alone, that you have someone to talk about it with? I remember a young gal, she called me and she's like, hey, Sarah, I'd really like to meet with you. And I hadn't I hadn't hung out with her in a long time. I was like, huh, okay, sure. So we meet at Starbucks and we sit down and I was like, so what's going on? And she just bursts into tears. And I said, what's going on? And she had a Bible and she held it up to me. And she goes, I don't know how to read it. She was heartbroken. She's like, I don't know how to read it. She goes, how do I read this? Will you help me understand it? I want to understand it. She saw the value in the written word of God. She wanted to grow in her relationship with God, but she was so frustrated because when she read it, it didn't make a lot of sense to her. And so she needed someone to come alongside and be like, okay, let's start in the book of John and let's talk about what we read and who Jesus is. It's okay to need help. There's no shame in that. And there's no weakness in that, in the sense of of that you're doing something wrong. No, you're just learning. And it's good to identify the areas that you need help so you can find the solution for it rather than feel stuck. And Sarah, you're talking about the power of community. Yes. The importance of having people in your life. We are by design, not meant to be an island. We are meant to be a community. And I think in, and I think there's truth, a lot of truth to what she's saying. The Bible is strange. It's a 2000 year old book. I mean, it's written to a group of people from across the world in a context that is very old and a culture that is very different from our own here in the West. And so there are a lot of filters and lenses that we have to put on and kind of be studious to discern what is this and what is it not? What is it saying? And what is it saying? And I think community is a really powerful tool to help us process the things that we read. Yeah. I mean, there's a talking donkey in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's resurrection of the dead in there. Yeah. There's a lot in the Bible. And so to to expect someone to just sit down and be like, oh, yeah, I got this. Yeah. Yeah. This totally applies to my life right here. (laughs) And a lot does apply directly, practically Mm -hmm. to our everyday. And then others are principles for us to form and draw from, right? That spiritual formation that we've talked about in other podcasts. Those principles are part of our spiritual formation that grow us in our understanding and the character of God. And so there's a lot in there and it's just really helpful to make sure that we're finding people in community to walk alongside, preferably someone who's a couple steps ahead, who've been walking it just a little, doesn't mean they're better than anyone. It just means that they've been walking this journey a little bit longer and have a little bit more understanding than you do, which is going to be really helpful as you process and discuss what you're reading. Yeah. One of the helpful things I think to the Christian life is almost what a Sherpa is on a a long backpacking trip in the mountains. Mm -hmm. I think the importance of having somebody who has been walking and living and practicing the faith for much longer than I have is of great value. If I'm getting ready to embark on this lifelong journey, and if I'm getting ready to hike Mount Everest, I don't want to hike Mount Everest with a bunch of other people like me who haven't hiked Mount Everest. They can come, we can all go together, but I'm looking for the Sherpa that's hiked Mount Everest a hundred times. 
And so in my spiritual journey, I'm looking for somebody who's been in the presence of God a hundred times. Somebody's read their Bible a hundred times. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking to that person. Who is that person who not only talks about the word of God, but it is embodied and practiced and lived out in their life. I'm like, man, this person has been with Jesus. That's who I'm looking for. So I think yeah. there's a lot of wisdom there. One of the biggest joys and benefits of community is that you get to see the diversity of God's creation in the gifts of other people, in the way that God has made other people. We learn about who God is in who he has created and what he has created. So we learn about God through creation. We're looking out over the expanse of the earth and we're looking at the beauty and we're looking at the details and we're looking at the animals and we can see all of these things that God has created. And that speaks to us and tells us about who he is, that he is the creator. He is creative and that he loves all shapes, sizes, colors, everything that we see has been formed and created by him. We see the same in his people. We get to see the same in his people. We get to see so much of the the gifts that he's deposited in a person as they live that out. That is a reflection of Christ in them. And that reflection mirrors on us so that we can learn and grow and discover even more about what he's like. I mean, I can just look at you and Taylor and how God is reflected in you and Taylor. I see it reflected in your marriage, how you honor one another, how you love one another. That looks like God to me. How you care about the scripture, Ilya, and how you teach it and how you talk about it in a way that others may not. That's a reflection of God in you and how he's made you. And I I get to learn from that and enjoy that. And Taylor, your wife, she's an incredible dancer. She's an incredible creative woman who comes up with choreography and has a playfulness and a winsomeness that to me is just so reflective of God. And this beautiful way that she moves and flows aligns with the beauty of God. And so we get to learn so much through other people who God is and what he's like and what he likes. Sarah, I'm laughing because this is one of those moments where I'm like, man, Sarah and I are so different from you said admiring beauty, giftedness and people. Like we get to show up and bring our gifts to the table. And as much as we are, we are blessed by people's gifts. We get to bless others with our presence, the spirit in us, the spirit in you in fellowship together. Here's where my mind went. I was like, the benefits of community is uh, having people that you can suffer with. Well, for me, I was thinking a community of people, we will not walk through life unscathed. Nobody is immune to pain. And when we find ourselves in that space, one of the biggest things is heavenly solutions to earthly pain. The community of God responds in a different way, comforts in a different way. And so for me, it's people suffering or trials or pain is not a matter of if, but when, and when it strikes, you have a fellowship of people that you get to suffer with together. Mm -hmm. And that, I think there's a lot of power in that. And then The other piece for me was healing, healing. You know, I I think about James where it says that we should confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. I think the prerequisite to us following Jesus is us admitting we don't have it all together. We're broken. We are unable and we are helpless. And so when we find ourselves in this place of vulnerability, I don't think that ever goes away. And I think Sometimes Christians have this persona of, I have it all together, which adds this immense amount of stress and weight on our own shoulders to keep that up one way or another. And I think community at its best is people getting together and saying, hey, guess what? I've been following Jesus for 50 years and I still don't have it together. Well, and Jesus left us three things to deal with this world. He left us three things. He left us the Holy Spirit. He left us the written word. And 
he left us the spiritual gifts that we have in each other. And the spiritual gifts that he's deposited in each person are the things that when we're working together as we should be as a community of of Christ followers, that there's this beautiful unity and synergy and effectiveness. And we bring those heavenly solutions to the earth. That's would heaven be on earth, right? We put those solutions into motion when we are operating together out of those things that the Lord has left us. And when we aren't, I mean, we can recognize how ineffective we are without them pretty quickly. We can start striving and performing and working on our own strength to try and get things accomplished in our life or to get to a certain place when really we're supposed to be working with community within community alongside each other for the same purpose. And that is to make Christ known and give him glory. And we do that best together. We do that best together. Absolutely. One of the best experiences. I mean, I've had great experiences with Christian community and I've had not so great experiences. (laughs) And I think Christian community at its best was a time in my life where I had a group of guys that we could all get together and just talk life. Like we could be honest, we could be open, we can be vulnerable. And all of us are in the same pursuit of following Jesus. And it wasn't a space of of guilt or shame. It was just openness, being able to say freely, this is just where I'm at today. Last week I was there. I'm not going to live out of last week's victories today. I want victory today. And being able to get to the table and have those conversations and be encouraged, encouraging one another, leaving that space to engage with the world again. And then I've had other times where things have not gone so well. I was a youth pastor. I was 20, 20 years old, 21. And I remember this guy coming up to me who was all about like men supporting each other and being together and like linking arms and and doing all the things. And and I remember he was talking about the importance of men being able to be vulnerable with one another about the realities of life, encouraging one another, building one another up to be husbands and fathers and all this stuff. And I remember him coming up to me and just saying, Hey brother, is there, is there anything I can pray for you this week? And, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Like I wasn't going to say anything at first, but I was like, yeah, totally. Like if there's a place for me to be vulnerable, it's with this guy. Like he preaches this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember him coming up to me and me saying, um, yeah, this week I was like, man, I just feel, I feel a lot of stress. I feel a lot of weight on my shoulders this week. And I feel lust like creeping at my door. Right. And I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. living in sin. I'm not doing it. I'm just saying, man, I just feeling it. Like I'm really feeling right. it this weekend. I remember telling him that and he just took a step back and he was like, Oh, what? And I was like, Oh no. Like, what did I just do? And immediately watching him like take a step back in shock made me go, I will never tell anybody anything like this ever again. Just so much shame immediately. Like, oh, what? You're a youth pastor and you feel struggle, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh. I think the biggest takeaway for me to discern between good community and bad community isn't people necessarily who talk about vulnerability and openness but it's people that lead with vulnerability and openness. That really resonates with me because I I know when it's like, oh, I just shared too much. Yeah. I just shared too much. I went too far. And actually, it wasn't that I shared too much. It wasn't that I went too far. I probably just shared too much with the wrong person. So learning to discern and also learning to be in relationship with people because people are not God. I've learned over time and it's not been an easy lesson, but I've learned over time that if somebody reacts to me rather than responds, response is something thoughtful, intentional mm-hmm. and reaction is something spontaneous that actually probably is the most authentic self, <laughs> mm. but it, for better but or for worse. Yeah, exactly. To say, hey, that wasn't good for me. Your reaction 
to that, that doesn't sit right with me and this is why. Can you share why you did that or why you said that? And that provides the opportunity for that relationship to go on unhindered, gives me an opportunity to forgive them for how they treated me, gives them an opportunity to maybe come to to a realization of something that maybe wasn't good and that they can own that or to explain where they were coming from and, and why that happened. And so there's a chance for any kind of division that might be trying to weevil its way into that relationship to not happen. But it also gives wisdom of like, I'm probably not going to share intimate things like this with this person again, but it doesn't mean that this person becomes my enemy. It just means that now I'm going to put a boundary there, a healthy boundary that says, oh, okay, well, thank you for letting me Mm -hmm. know. And now they're not going to have a certain access to you. But it doesn't mean that you cut off all, unless they're obviously abusive or something sure. is, has been terribly done. But some, not everybody gets the same access to us. And we get to learn when living in community, who gets what access. Find your people. Mm-hmm. Find your people. Find the people who will be able to hold hard things with you, who will always say, hey, let's turn our eyes to the Lord. Let's turn our eyes to the Lord. And we'll constantly be turning back to the Lord rather than to the problem or to people. Like, where are your eyes? Community that is going to turn you towards the Lord is always going to be looking towards the Lord, looking to the Lord, looking for the Lord. And that brings me to our last point, which is make time. Godliness is not an accident the enemy of our spiritual life is in the 21st century is busyness. There are a lot of things that are waging war on our attention, our time, our emotional capacities. And there's a lot of things pulling us in different directions. And I don't think anyone that I've met whose faith I admired, whose spiritual life I respected has gotten there by accident. Every single person that I've talked to that I've met with had conversations of like, wow, you know, how did you get so good at prayer? How did you get so good at this undying fidelity to Jesus, this trusting in him and the craziest of life circumstances? How did you get to that place where you have so much peace that just overcomes and transcends anything that you're going through? How do you get there? I've never gotten a response that said, I don't know, like it just happened. So I would encourage that everything that we've shared from finding space to be with God, to dig into his word, to find your people and build your community, all of those things take intentionality. All of those things take time for us to pause and go, okay, the rhythm of my life, how I'm living my life, where am I going to make sure that there is space somewhere in here for those things. Making space is disciplining ourselves to make sure that that space is found and lived into. Here's a pro tip. There's always going to be something better to distract you and to do. Mm -hmm. And better meaning more attractive or more what you feel up to doing. Entertaining, fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be something that's there to distract you. You will find that you'll sit down in a quiet space and suddenly there's a dump truck like coming and and like suddenly the space is full of noise. There's all these little things that are going to come up to just take you away, get your attention focused on something else. And it, it could happen so often that you just finally give up. You're just like, oh, this just isn't working for me. And that means that somebody is trying to break into the boardroom. Come on. That doesn't belong. There's somebody trying to bust into that boardroom that is not invited. Like just the picture that I get is, you know how you're having a meeting and everything is, there's windows all around you and somebody is on a lawnmower and they're just driving by back and forth, waving, trying to get your attention while you're in this important meeting. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like, close the blinds, close the blinds. What What's it going to take to close the blinds and to shut that out? It might be that you have to change a location. Some of my sweetest times with the Lord have been sitting in a car, in a parking lot. Not late at night. Please don't do that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> in a car in broad daylight with it locked, just sipping on a water and, and reading a devotion and praying. 15 minutes. I've had some of the sweetest moments there. Sometimes you just got to you gotta fight a little to make sure that those things that want to draw you away from that time and that space that they don't, they don't get in the boardroom. We will never be given more time. So we have to be wise with the time that we do have and be intentional with it. And for most people, I know, just going to call it out, sitting on your phone less, watching Netflix less. There's there's a lot that we do that have has become so custom to us, so normative to us, that if we pause and go, okay, wait a second, you know, my screen time is like four hours. Can I carve out 15 minutes to close the blinds, to fight for that space? Just personally, I felt convicted in the last two years of, I remember talking with Sarah and going like, man, I want to, I want to hear God's voice more in my life. The last three or four years I've been saying that, like, I want to hear his voice more. I want to hear his voice more. And I remember praying with the Lord and just saying like, God, I want to hear your voice. And God was like, you have so many other voices in your ears at any given point throughout the day, even if they're good, even if they're like podcasts or debates or whatever, lectures, like even if they're good things that I love, it's not the voice of God, man. Okay. How do I find 15, 20, 30 minutes to get away and close the blind? Good things will never be better than God himself, period. When I first started really disciplining myself, I actually did get up at 5 a.m., but that's because I'm a morning person. I used to work for Starbucks. I used to open the store. It's my favorite thing. I did get up at 3.30 in the morning to open the store. To get the store open by 5, I had to be there at 4.15, which means I had to get up at 3.30. And it was absolutely an insane schedule, but my body got into a rhythm and it liked it. And so when I left that company, my body was used to waking up early. So for me, I went with what was good for me and I made time. And so every morning I would get up at 5 a.m. I had to be at work by eight and I gave myself a full hour. And part of that was reading. And part of that was just sitting in silence, asking the Lord to speak and praying about the things that would come to my mind and offering those to the Lord. That discipline of time was short, but it was fruitful. It got me into a rhythm of actually caring. I started to care about about reading God's Word. And that space slowly morphed because my schedule changed. I went into college and my schedule changed. And so I needed to change what I did. And so it became afternoon walks. And so on afternoon walks, I would be listening to worship music and I would be memorizing verses. And so I would practice memorizing the verses I walked and really focusing on the words of the worship songs that I was listening to, not just letting myself feel it, but mm. like listening and, and offering that as an actual praise to God, being like, I believe this. But here's what time and space actually did for me it gave me space to learn how to believe what i was actually learning that's the real work is to not just get information not just to become knowledgeable but actually learn how to believe what it is that i'm i'm taking it how do i believe this i'm going to choose to believe this okay in that space, that's what I learned to do. I learned how to actually believe what I was learning about God. That is what sustains us. That is what is going to grow those deep roots of faith. So that when the wind comes and life throws us those unpredictable things, those things that we suffer through in community together, 
that deep rootedness of faith is going to come from belief. And so just to wrap up, I just want to pray for our new believing friends in this journey that we just want to pray a blessing over you. Our desire is that you would come to believe and trust God so much that no matter what this world brings, no matter what it does, no matter what you walk through, no matter what happens, the one thing that you believe and know is that God will never leave your side, that he is with you, that he is for you, and that he is always going to be inviting you to get closer to him as you walk through that. God never moves away from us. We move away from him. So just remember that he is always going to be right there. Keep leaning in. Father God, I just pray right now for our friends, for our friends who have (laughs) with trembling yeses, God, with excited yeses to say, I'm going to let God make the decisions in my life. I'm going to let him form me and reveal to me who he's made me to actually be in this life. Um, God, we just pray for them. We ask, Lord, that you would bless them in this journey, that you would bring them people, uh, mentors and leaders and helpers along the way to help teach and grow, encourage, comfort, cheer on them in this faith journey and to help those roots grow deep that any seed planted, Lord, by you would not be plucked up, would not be destroyed, would not be lost, would not get blown away, but grow deep, deep roots of faith. And that they would come to know the joy of living life with you and living life for you and being obedient to you. New believer, welcome home. The scriptures say that there is a party in heaven the heavens rejoice over one sinner that repents and turns to the lord that the heavens rejoice and so i just hope that that brings you comfort knowing that all of the heavenly hosts are rejoicing over you right now god we thank you for the family of god and we say welcome home lord would you lavish wisdom upon our friends would you lavish grace upon them as they walk in their faith journey would you surround them with a loving community of believers lord that are grace filled that walk in vulnerability that speak truth and love would you surround them and would you stir in them a heart's desire to be in your presence lord to meditate on the word to spend time with you lord and would you tune their ears to hear your voice amen